the divine peace, light, blessings, grace, and guidance of God, of Allah Almighty, be with you and with us all. This is Ihsan, and this is Soul of Islam Radio. We live in incredibly unusual times and in an increasingly complex and confused world. The noble and blessed Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him and upon all the messengers and prophets of God, stated that such a time would come in which good would be presented as evil and evil as good. A time in which all would be inverted and that only with the light of faith, humility and sincerity would a believer be able to discern truth from falsehood. With modern culture accelerating towards total freefall in complete chaos, and with modern culture collapsing and imploding from within, it is up to us as believers to begin again taking up the mantle of responsibility to lead towards goodness and towards God. In truth, as servants of the Most High and as a community created to enjoin what is good and prevent what is evil, we have reneged on our responsibility and our mandate and can no longer sit idly by while the world continues to descend into disorder and madness. There is a story from within our tradition in which Allah Almighty commanded the destruction of a society due to their persistence in iniquity and corruption, and the mighty angels of God set out to execute His divine order. However, upon reaching the town destined for destruction, they found a pious man praying and worshipping God in solitude. They then returned to the presence of Allah Almighty and said, Lord, there is one of your servants still amongst them. Allah Almighty then responded to the angels and said, Begin the destruction with his house. Since my original interview with Jamil Papatia in Season 4 of Soul of Islam Radio, in which we discussed compassionate and non-violent communication, he and I have become good friends and have stayed in contact and communication ever since. The topic which has tended to increasingly come up in our conversations is that of the loss of sacred masculinity and the loss of the way of spiritual manhood and chivalry in the modern world. In recent discussions and with the ever-accelerating chaos of contemporary culture, we felt it was time, and in fact long overdue, to begin sharing this conversation with our community. And so, in this episode of Soul of Islam Radio, I invite you to join Sidi Jamil and I as we discuss this critical topic and the necessity for men within our community to again remember who we are and rise to meet the unique challenges of our time in service of our Lord and Creator and in the service of our families and communities. In the name of God, the most compassionate, the most merciful. Following is our discussion. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, brother Jamil. It is good to have you here with us again. Uh, it's wonderful to see you, wonderful to connect. And I'm really excited about this episode for, for our podcast for Soul of Islam Radio. Now, for some of our listeners who may recall we actually did it we did an interview with you we did an episode with you a few years ago on the topic of nonviolent and compassionate communication so you and i have become good friends since then we've always been in touch uh it's been wonderful to stay connected and i'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation especially because this is something that's been coming up quite a bit for us so uh, welcome city jamil thank you very much uh what a warm welcome Yes, I'm looking forward to this conversation as well. Um, I think it is absolutely in line with our times in terms of the discussion that needs to be had, as was nonviolent communication, aka compassionate communication. And, um, you know, may our conversation here benefit um, our listeners, those mm -hmm. who benefit from us and ourselves. I mean, 
I mean, uh, earlier we discussed about, you know, mashallah, we, we, we took a moment just to set the intention for this. And this is one of the things specifically that came up for me, that this conversation be benefit to our ummah, yeah. be benefit to our community and benefit to ourselves. So, uh, Sidi Jamil, um, for, for our listeners and our, our viewers who may not be familiar with you and your work, maybe just if you can give us a, a quick background about yourself. Now, you're involved in, in coaching. You do coaching for men and you do, yeah. you know, you're a certified uh, NVP practitioner not, or NVC, yeah. Yeah. nonviolent communication. But uh, just give us a quick background about yourself. And, and then at the end of this, too, we'll, we'll let people know how they can reach you. Sure. Thank you, Hassan. Yeah, I mean, it's not terribly remarkable, um, but I'll just give a sentence or two. I mean, what I spend my days doing is I, I'm the role, I have a role of a counselor, a coach, a facilitator, and trainer. And what you mentioned was my main forte, my go to is nonviolent communication, compassionate communication, which I came across about seven and a half years ago now, maybe a bit more than that. And uh, what I have done with it is use the basics of nonviolent communication, its its premises, its uh, strategies, everything about nonviolent communication and the whole concept of compassion and empathy before those words became weaponized in our time now and blended that with our spiritual tradition of Islam, Ihsan, in how to uh, really bring those two together. And that's what I do with many of my coaching clients. My coaching clients happen to all be Muslim males, as you said, mm -hmm. uh, under the age of 40, most actually all over 20, so between 20 and 40, and looking for a way to not only connect with themselves in terms of how they interact with the modern world as a Muslim, as someone wanting also compassion and empathy, but also how to be authentically themselves, which means for these people, since they are men, authentically men, um, despite all the, if you like, forces around them, around us, that are trying to suppress and repress that. Mm -hmm. So it's it's going against the forces of, uh, you know, a lot of what we find today as distasteful and unnatural and uh, anti-human. We're trying our best to revive that through my work in nonviolent communication, coaching and counseling in that, as well as the several the workshops and seminars that I do in that topic, which are for a broader audience, not necessarily simply um, Muslim communities. So that's how I spend my time. MashaAllah. And we'll make sure to have links to, to your site and to your contact uh, beneath, you know, in the show notes for this and also beneath the, the videos that appear uh, that we extract from this. So maybe that's a good place to start, uh, Sidi Jamil, because we live in, in, in you know, remarkably unusual uh, and strange times. Throughout human history and throughout, let's say, spiritual history, Allah Almighty has revealed a way for human beings to live. And, and I think it's important for us to remember, what is the purpose of that, right? I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our Lord, our Creator, the one God, has guided humanity from the beginning through His prophets, through His messengers, and also through their companions. And it, it's important for us to remember that the goal of guidance is the happiness of human beings. Yeah. It's the success and the health of human beings. It's harmony in the lives of human beings. Like Allah Almighty, God is not in need of anything. So when he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of his mercy, out of his benevolence, out of his love for his creation, reveals guidance. And guidance is essentially trying to answer the question, how are we to live? How do we live? Both be happy, healthy, successful in this life, and also, it can be said more importantly, in the life beyond. So that's eternity. Yes. 
it is from his mercy and so he reveals he so he subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to the prophet as rahmatan lil alameen mercy to creations one of the meanings of that being the way of the prophet the, the revelation the religion that is coming through the prophet being the means of guidance for humanity for their own benefit so in the context of this reminder this understanding that guidance from god is for our benefit we find ourselves now in a world which is doing its best to go as far away from the guidance of god literally in the opposite direction right. and with disastrous consequences right. yes. with disastrous consequences Absolutely. so one of the things that i point out you know that one of the most basic you know, I believe there was a poet, uh, I believe, I, if I remember this correctly, a Pakistani poet who said that the paradise for a human being is their home or it's their family. Like the closest experience we will have to paradise on this planet is the happiness of your home. Right. You know, this is not paradise, but right. the closest that we can experience that is harmony and happiness in the home. Yet so much of modern and contemporary culture is is destroying happiness and harmony and health and peace and stability in the home mm -hmm. and at the root of this in a lot of the discussions we've had has come up the topic of net which is now everywhere gender and roles man and woman i mean you know the, the contemporary culture can't even define what a woman is right anymore let alone a man and yes. not only that there's this active disparagement of manhood and traditional masculinity yes. it's portrayed as toxic in fact, all tradition is portrayed as as backwards, as toxic, right. as right. non-conducive, as if somehow now we in the 21st century know better. Right. Right. Cultural evolution, thousands of years of cultural evolution to get to a stable to get to stable systems is now thrown out, and we're going to reinvent based on our own capricious thinking how we should live. Right. But at the root of this comes, you know, at the root of this, I have realized is this topic. Mm. At the root of it is manhood, masculinity, sacred manhood, sacred masculinity. Right. So I'm going to step back for a moment and let you jump in here, uh, Brother Jamil. Well, I mean, what are your thoughts on this idea? It's a, it's a lot. It's a it's a wonderful opening, Hassan. And it's it's such a difficult topic to unpack in our time because our community does not seem all that interested in it. When I say our community, I generally mean the Muslims of our, of our time, not only um, in North America, but you might say Western Muslims in general, though they differ between European and the UK, the US and Canada, but let's use our context in the US and Canada. Um, this conversation doesn't even seem like it's happening in our mosques, in our communities. And you and I, we've shared a frustration, a shared reality together of frustration of why this is not being discussed, why it's not being talked about. Whereas, you know, when I, you and I both have a few grays to talk about, so we have the right to talk about this. 25 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, we were probably looked at as the most conservative community on the planet. Very conservative, very traditional, and it was natural. Sure, there were problems in our communities and just as there are now, but they're not the same. I think the post 9-11 uh, mosque is quite a different place than what it used to be. And like you mentioned, the family home is quite a different place than what it used to be. And I'm not only talking about uh, immigrant Muslims that have come to the United States and Canada in the 60s, 70s, 80s and, and our period, but even Muslims in the East. Both of us, you and I have lived 
in the East for some time. And and we can see the shift that's happening there, unfortunately, is that what you, you I think you nailed it when you said the very fact, the, the idea of a tradition is being undermined. In other words, I think Hamza Yusuf called it disdain for the ancients, disdain for the ancients. Like, let's not tap into the wisdom of the people of the past. Instead, let's start fresh. Let's think anew, feel anew, you know, and try to rebuild. The problem with that is the Muslims come from a tradition that is handed down generation after generation after generation from the first generation, which is the best generation of the Prophet Muhammad So things only get worse with droplets of uh, light throughout the centuries. But our grand situation seems to be the exact opposite of what today is called progress. And so what you said really hit home for me in that it's not progress for us at all. And it's not just us as Muslims, but anyone who has a tradition that they're trying to uphold or trying to live in an environment where tradition is looked at as something to be um, just thrown out, not considered at all, because it's, it's not worth it and it's not helping. When this is particularly clear when we talk about gender and sexual roles, it's particularly clear that what women have been for since the beginning, what men have been since the beginning, we want to change that up now. We want to change that up. As you mentioned to me a while back, you know, men's job as protectors, providers, people to secure the, the family well-being, leaders, presiders, that is becoming increasingly rare. And so I find that to be very problematic in establishing family life and maintaining family life. You and I have personal examples that we won't talk about here that are so, you know, we are, we're friends, so we talk about it, but they're so common. Spend time with a man from the gym, from the mosque, from your work community, from your coaching clients, and you will hear the pain that a lot of men feel. This is not to say men are victims. This is not a victim's consciousness. This is a reality of that we're facing, which is we want to remain men. We don't want to be assaultive. We don't want to be you know, the term that I think you brought up, or that's toxic masculinity. The two can't go together. Masculinity can never be toxic. Men can be sinful, but masculinity is praiseworthy. It's beautiful. It's part of being a full-grown man. Mm -hmm. uh, and if it is done right, it is nothing but beautiful. I sure. would go so I'd go so far at this point to say it's sacred. It's sacred. Real Absolutely. masculinity is sacred. and it's Absolutely. I agree with that term sacred and where do you see it these days i i don't find it in places there are a few maybe a few of our teachers that you and i have that we've traveled to visit the, the it's very rare it's very rare at least visibly to us instead you and i get to hear the long list of complaints that young men have whether it be difficulty finding a suitable marriage partner whether it be uh difficulty in dealing with their parents in choosing a career that cultivates their masculinity, sacred manhood, masculinity. Um, and it's a challenge. It's a challenge that we help young men with, and yet we're in it. We're involved in it, living it. It's time to do something about it. So I'd say, I'd say, Brother Jamil, that mm -hmm. it, it, this is the challenge of our times. Mm -hmm. This is the battle and this is the war of our times. Yeah. The spiritual war of our times is actually to reclaim real manhood and, sa and, and sacred masculinity. Right. Because this is what is being assaulted by what we might call in, in religious or spiritual sort of parlance, 
satanic and dejelic forces. Like yeah. this is the attack. Right. All you have to see is what is being attacked continually right. Right. by contemporary culture to see where the battle is. Like this is the battle line right here. Yeah. And, you know, you said that, I mean, something you mentioned, right, that we, we want to be men. Mm -hmm. I, I take it even further and say, right, it's not about, and this has been my experience in life. Mm -hmm. it, it, I realized it's not about wanting to be a man. It's about the necessity of learning to be a man. Like yeah. manhood is necessary. Right. And when I look back at every, literally every problem in my life, every mm -hmm. failure in my life, yeah. Right. And, and all the ways that that has manifested in all mm -hmm. different arenas and, and dimensions and spheres of life, I can see it goes back to this manhood yeah. Yeah. And, and not having learned how to be what a man is actually, how right. to be a man. Right. And I, I concur with you 100%. And it's too easy to get into the, um, the modern and postmodern phenomenon of blaming someone and say that we're victims of trauma. Mm or et cetera, et cetera. Our society is so messed up. So that's why we ended up with some serious struggles in young adulthood and now into middle age for you and I. Um, but there's no one to blame. There's no one to blame. And there's only action to take. Yeah. And one knows what action to take only if one has an understanding of who one is and what's needed. Otherwise, it can become very chaotic and we can end up being the very thing that we dread, which is being oppressors or being uh, indiscriminately violent, or being, uh, you know, abusers in some way. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a sacred, as you called it, sacred masculinity, a sacred role of being men, which means leaders, moral leaders, moral leaders of our families, teachers of our families, heads of our families. And if our family is in, in good health, maybe our neighborhood will then be in good health, because we'll be able to share some of our blessings and value. And then your town, your village will be in good health. And eventually you'll get to a community that's healthy. Society is nothing but a collection of communities. Right now, it's a collection of individuals with their own, as you said, satanic preferences of what they want. We've come to the point where we worship the nafs, the, the ego so much that we think, you no, know, if we want it, it must be good. If we want, well, sometimes what we want isn't good for us. We know that every religious community will tell you, train your soul so that it does not get everything it wants, is holds back self-restraint. Mm -hmm. We don't teach self-restraint anymore. We don't, we don't teach to hold back. Only thing we hold back is anger. And even then, some of us fail miserably at that. I know I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that, that actually, so these are actually masculine qualities and traits, yes. discipline, yes. restraint, right? Asceticism, control. Right. These are masculine attributes. Right. They have their place in our lives. The feminine attributes have their place as well. Yeah. Softness, compassion, right. um, you know, gentleness, surrender. Like these are feminine traits and qualities. Right. They're absolutely essential, necessary, but you can't have one without the other. Mm -hmm. Right. And now what modern contemporary uh, culture is trying to do is create a world that is absolutely devoid of the masculine. Right. So there is no order. There is no structure. There is no discipline. There is no restraint. There are no lines. Yes. Like there are no lines. So there's no right and there's no wrong to the point that everything loses meaning. Right. It's complete nihilism. It's That's what I yeah. think yeah. most of our clinical psychologists would call this a nihilistic tendency where 
your meaning is your meaning, Ihsan. Mine is mine. And there's no, there's no community. There's no sense of collective. And that's not to, that's not to attack individualism or individual preferences around certain things, but to not have a collective ideal to adhere to and to aspire to. Then what's the point of having a religion? What's the point? Right. And the point is, is this aspiration towards truth. Right. So, so this mindset that everything is subjective and relative yeah. is actually an affront. It's an assault on truth because right. truth is not relative. Right. right. Truth is not subjective. Truth is truth. And That's we're it. supposed to aspire towards that. Right. But so what, what contemporary culture essentially is doing is removing God. Right. And putting in, in the place of God the self. Because what is ultimate truth? Allahu haq. That God is the ultimate truth. Allahu haq. Allahu That's it. Haq. That is Allah. it. There are people of faith communities, not our community in the Muslim communities, but other faith communities where they don't believe that they're on truth. Capital T, as you mentioned. They just say, this is what's been handed down to us. And so we're trying to do it. Whereas in the Islamic tradition, we're required to know the truth, to try to discover the truth and pursue it and then live it. Some of our, our teachers have told us, and you as well, I know he has told you as well, you can't be a seeker forever. Once you find, now act on it. Act what, on what you've found. And if you have found God, God has found you, it's time to act on it, which means complete surrender. It doesn't mean surrender to what suits you or what is in line with the sensibilities you were brought up with or what your family accepts. And this is where you mentioned there's no more masculinity. I would even argue that there is, but it's in the wrong gender, that our women have become masculine. Yeah. I don't, when I say our women, I mean women of our time, of all walks of life, cultures, religions. Um, perhaps ours is quite an inflamed example, our Muslim community. And this is what troubles me the most, is the loss of femininity that mm. accompanies the disappearance of masculine men. Right. And, and incredibly, I mean, these two are in sync, right? These right. two are deeply connected. And so earlier you said, right, there's nobody to blame. We can say there's nobody to blame, and this is the reality we have to deal with. But I would actually at this point say that the, the bulk of the responsibility here actually lies upon men. Mm-hmm. Right? If men did not abdicate their manhood yes. in the world and in our community mm-hmm. in general, right, in the dunya that we live in, if men did not abdicate their roles, their responsibilities, what they were created to be, I mean, I don't think that the, this whole feminist movement and ideology would have gotten as far as it has. So I would say actually that there is a far greater level of responsibility on men to wake up and to awaken and, you know, we're actually seeing this in other communities, um, beginning to see the the beginnings of this within the Muslim community, because now people are beginning to talk about manhood, masculinity, right, the topic of right. Fatou is now back in the foreground. Yeah. But but this is really now beginning to take off in in the Western world and yes. sort of in other communities. And you're seeing this revival and this resurgence to tradition, right. to traditional norms, and to manhood and masculinity. And this is a, a very common now topic. It's, you can... I mean, it's all over the internet at this point. As, as you recall, and I know you went to a, a conference related to this topic, a three-day conference, which I wish I could have gone with you on that. But we seem to follow. I mean, the Prophet ﷺ said that you will follow the Jews and Christians even if they enter a lizard hole. Mm-hmm. He didn't say Jews and Christians. And one of the companions asked, do you mean the Jews and Christians? And he said, if not them, then who? In other words, what they do, you do. 
So when we realize now that the West, they lost so much when they gave up their Abrahamic religion. They were built, Anglo-Saxon societies, ours, for example, is built on Christian values. We can't deny that. Protestant Christian values. And they were very firm. Maybe you could say 1959 and before, they were very firm. They had some issues with it. And in the last few decades have dropped it almost entirely to nothing. And what has happened is now, you know, as we follow the patterns that are around us in the West, the West abandoned religion a long time ago for the most part, even the United States, which is a more of a religious society than Canada, but even in the United States. So as they try to revive something in their religious life, and for the most part, I think the country's still a majority Christian country, Protestant, majority Protestant country, when they try to revive this, that's when Muslims say, hey, maybe we ought to revive our tradition instead of being spearheaders, forerunners to start these conversations and say, we didn't lose what you all lost. We just put it aside. But since you're not doing, you're not following yours, we're going to just take the secular route as well and, and, and fit in. I told my brother the other day, and I'm telling you now, Sidi Hassan, we should be suspicious of Muslims who fit in unhealthy societies. If we fit into a very unhealthy society or community, the problem is not the community or society. Why are we fitting in? Mm -hmm. One of our teachers in Cambridge, what does he say? He says, we're the last antidote to modernity. We don't fit in nicely. We're an antidote to it. That, to me, makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. I mean, why would we even be trying to fit in? Or why are we taking this apologetic route? Yes. And, and what happened to you are the best of nations raised for mankind? You are the ones enjoining good and prohibiting evil. And we're, now you can see, it's incredible to me that a percentage of the Muslim community is you know, just going along with all of the, the contemporary craziness. Because there aren't conversations like the ones we're, ha the one we're having right now. I, you know, some of our scholars right there in Northern California, where you are, are saying that we've never had people leave Islam in the kind of numbers we have now, leaving Islam. This is not Western Muslims. These are Muslims coming from the heartland of Islam. There's, where there's war, where there's tyranny, where there's difficulty, financial, economic difficulty, and people are leaving Islam because they don't see it as an answer. We have to take responsibility for that. We haven't given them an answer. Instead, we've said, follow the West. West is all right, doing what they do. And this dichotomy of West and us, it has to stop because like you, like myself, we're both from the West Coast, born and raised. We are influenced by the culture we live in. We may have roots that are east of the Atlantic, but we still are born and raised here on this West Coast soil that you and I are from, from California to Vancouver here. And we take that into consideration when we implement, when we learn, and when we try to live our tradition in our environment but we have to know there's a caribbean saying that says better the enemy you know than the friend you don't so our enemies are those who are promoting things that are absolutely inherently antithetical to the message of god and prophets and that is you mentioned it the transgenderism extreme extremist feminism feminizing of men the loss of traditional values and gender roles islam is flexible regarding gender roles but there are some non-negotiables a man cannot say, I don't want to be the leader. It might be hard. It might be difficult, but you have no choice. You're the provider and you're the one that needs to lead your family morally down the path of the path of the Prophet Muhammad And we're celebrating his, his birth, his life, his mission right now in this month, Rabi'ul Awwal. And so we should remember that he was a compassionate, gentle, merciful leader that had a warrior side. We have suppressed that about our modern Muslim communities. We, we'd rather 
suppress that because it's unpopular in our time. And that's unfortunate. It is very unfortunate. And and so that may be the, the next sort of thing that we might want to discuss a little bit is, is the, the reality of how unfortunate this abdication of responsibility is, right? What are the results of this? I mean, I can see left and right divorce at an all-time high within the Muslim community, right? Let alone the general community who's not even getting married anymore. And that's not really an option for, for Muslims. Yes. But amongst non-Muslims, marriage is a thing of the past. And they're talking about now population implosion, population collapse in most Western societies because not only are people not getting married, but they're not having children. Yes. Right? So, and the ones that aren't, the ones that do get married, I mean, the, the divorce and, and the catastrophe of divorce is so high. Right. It's one reason most people are just not even willing to risk it anymore. Right. But now and we're going to see this in the Muslim community as well. I think we are seeing it. I mean, we won't get into personal examples here of brothers we know and ourselves, but we know this phenomenon experientially. And so we have the right to talk about it. We've, we've walked through this path. We know it. It's painful. It hurts. And in my work as a family counselor, I need to be up to date with stats and, and things like that around these issues of separation, divorce. It's very heavy stuff. Between 75 and 90% of all separation and divorce in the United States and Canada's very similar numbers is initiated by the woman, by the wife. Yeah. So what do we deduce from that? What do we, what's going on? It does seem that, you know, it's not that long ago where even in the West, women didn't have the right to a no-fault divorce. That's what we call a no-fault divorce. Just, I fell out of love with you. I'm not feeling you anymore. And uh, we got a divorce. It's not that long ago where that would be unheard of. The hand of the, the right of divorce was generally in a man's hand, which we must admit he didn't use very much. And men tend to prefer. This has been my, I can speak anecdotally about my experience in counseling families and couples. It seems men generally want to stay in the marriages and the women want out. I don't know about our own Muslim community if that's the pattern with them, but I, I wouldn't doubt that it is. I mean, you may know more since you work a lot with our people. Well, I don't have, I don't have a statistic, but I do see the same mindsets, the same sentiments within the Muslim community that you see in the, in the larger community. Right. Because the same ideas have now uh, filtered into the, I mean, everybody's now basically in the same ocean. Right. You don't have those clear lines of, you know, Dadal Islam and Dadal Haram. It's all, yes. like you said, it's all uh, one big sort of pot. And this is one of the issues I have with a lot of our, our scholars that, that don't talk about the issues that are plaguing humanity, that don't address these issues. And they just confine themselves to matters of fiqh and aqidah and so yeah. on, right? Yes. And, and, like, and, and these sort of these academic disciplines. But the average person, I said this to you recently, the average Muslim is not suffering because, and really suffering profoundly, because they don't know how the fiqh of wudu, right? Like the, all the little details of wudu or of, of the, uh, the aqidah or of, yeah. you know, anything, right? They're, they're, yeah. not, they're not suffering because they don't know how to wash a dead body. Right. The fiqh right. of that. They're right. suffering because their homes are in, in turmoil. Right. So our crisis, if I hear you correctly, is a spiritual crisis, not an intellectual one, although I'd say it's both, really. But, I mean, we have scholars alive in the United States and Canada that are very high-level scholars in Islam. But what we don't have are very content, meaningful, spiritually alive homes. We have robotic, formulaic, mechanical homes where people are doing their duties to the minimum. But nobody's content. Nobody's happy. This is your average. One of the sheikhs said to bypass 
completely pass over middle-class Islam in North America. And I didn't know what he meant. I know what he means now. I know what he means. And this phenomenon of just, we'll just live like Westerners, but we're Muslims. doesn't work. We are Westerners and we are Muslims, but our way is not a way of worldly comforts, worldly pursuits to the extent where spiritual life is just maybe for a Sunday class with this scholar, this imam, or maybe even for the traditional minded for a Friday night liquor, for example. And then they go back to six days of misery and pain and difficulty with their spouse, with their children, with their work colleagues, and they're void of meaning. That's really sad. It's very sad because we've lost meaning and our meaning is derived through our suffering and through our experiences. As the late, as Viktor Frankl said in his book, said, you have the ability to interpret what's happening. And if you interpret it with a type of bitterness or uh, why is this happening to me, you know, as, as many people would say who are in hardship, then you don't get to actually derive meaning from it. And we are in this position, you and I, and many men and women out there too. We often, in these discussions, we tend to forget women are suffering. Women are suffering because of us. Women are suffering profoundly. Exactly. Exactly. Right, by the, and by the metrics, and there are there are statistics and there's data on this. You mentioned the weekend doesn't work for us like to live just like typical Westerners. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It doesn't work for them either. It doesn't work for them. Right? It's not working for them either because that's right. a now sort of contemporary culture again has mm-hmm. taken a purely materialistic, right. materialist, faithless, godless path. And it doesn't work for anybody. Right. right? Even and, if you go to church on Sunday. Absolutely. And in, in Islam, we, we fully recognize right uh, revealed religions. Right. You don't have to be a Muslim to be at peace or content or have a faith-filled life. You can right. be a Christian. You can be a Jew, a follower of any of the prophets of Allah. Absolutely. And and you know it's acceptable. It's okay. Mm-hmm. But the West has left that altogether now. Mm-hmm. And so now going back to results, right? We are seeing unprecedented levels of unhappiness, yes. stress, anxiety, depression. Mm-hmm. And it's higher in women than it is in men, actually, yes, statistically, yes, yes. right? Majority of women are far less happy now than now than they were 50, 40, 50 years ago. And and look at the difference. I mean, that stat is amazing what you just shared. And, you know, world-renowned clinical psychologist, Dr. Jordan Peterson, talks about this, saying, if progress is supposed to promise us such happiness, joy, and contentment, well, you just mentioned 40, 50, 60 years ago, there was a big difference between the lives of women then and the lives of women now. And they're in every profession, in every field, in every endeavor. They have infinite choices in front of them as a young woman. And in the past few decades ago, let's go 1959 and before, that wasn't the case. And yet you just mentioned that they were much happier then. So where's the progress if more options, more wealth, more opportunity, more shiny things from the world are available and you can get them and it still doesn't bring joy, meaning, happiness, then we're doing something wrong. The problem is we haven't realized it yet in the West. It's starting to happen now. And because the those in the so-called Muslim world just simply follow the West, they're not realizing it. And it won't be that they realize it until the West realizes it because as usual, they follow instead of lead. And that's the sad reality. Our population globally has become so insignificant. We're 1.8 billion in the world. Look at that number. That's a lot. And we're really insignificant because our religion has become secularized and it's become modernized and it's become watered down to such a degree that it's almost 
equivalent to secular Protestant Christianity in the United States, Canada, Europe, elsewhere. It's a very small chunk of our week, our lives. It doesn't even affect us. We may say a prayer when we go to sleep. We may eat certain foods and not eat certain foods. And it doesn't go deep. It doesn't affect who I am as a man, who you are as a man. It's just relegated to very small margins. You feel me, what I'm saying? Absolutely. We've lost the way. We've lost the path. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've forgotten who we are. Yeah. And I want to keep going back to this verse. You are the best of nations raised for mankind, enjoining right. good and prohibiting evil. It means you take a stand. Yes. It means you identify right and wrong, good and evil. And you try your best to align yourself with what has been revealed by the prophets and messengers of God. Yes. So let's jump back into this. You know, let's dive into this topic, sacred masculinity, sacred manhood. Mm -hmm. What are some qualities and characteristics of that? What would you say, Jimin? Well, I, I tend to want to quote from Sulemi's book, Al-Futuwa, the book of Futuwa, the book of chivalry. So just what comes to mind in remembering that book is leadership generosity, hospitality, a warriorship mentality. There's a type of preparedness, like a samurai might be. Mm -hmm. Like uh, any of the traditional cultures have a type of warrior preparedness to them. In other words, if things happen, so physical strength, mm -hmm. um, being articulate, having um, the ability to speak in a way that is assertive, authentic, and you know that you mean business. You're not easily pushed, influenced, and persuaded. You might even say that sacred masculinity requires from a man a little bit of disagreeableness. Jordan Peterson, you mentioned, definitely right. points that out, that, that that is a masculine trait. Absolutely. Masculine quality. This is not to say that, that women don't have that trait of being disagreeable. But in his uh, famous personality test that he has given, it's done throughout the world, more men in the world globally across cultures and socioeconomic status are more disagreeable than than women and we've put a repression suppression button on that as if it's okay to just be compliant it's okay to be told what to do by authority by our own parents by whoever where what i think he would mention and has mentioned is there are times where disagreeableness is a fantastic character characteristic and trait to have in the face of oppression, tyranny. Uh, and we're seeing that in the last two and a half years. Necessary. It. Absolutely. It's necessary because your home in, in a, you know, in your town, village, or city, if you're the only disagreeable man on that street, then people are going to rely on you when the enemy comes and the oppressor comes to harm you and your family to get up and do something about it. It ought to be that the men and even women in all those households would stand up and say, not happening. You're not taking our homes or our wealth or our children, etc." So, you know, disagreeableness is not something that is completely repression worthy. And we've fallen short on that because we've suppressed it as if it's somehow unbefitting. It's not befitting for us. It's, it's not an attractive quality for a modern man to have. And that's, that's not true. That's a shame. Hospitality, to be generous with people, not fearful. In other words, what's the opposite of that? What the modern man is, is stingy. I need to save for my this, that. I need to save myself, my time. Stingy when somebody needs you and you are stingy with them because you have a family or you have things to take care of. We all have wives, children, and homes and responsibilities to take care of. But when somebody calls on you 
a community calls on you to be magnanimous with your time. That I recall reading over and over again in Futua about that practice, as well as, um, so we talked about generosity and forgiveness. Forgiveness and being a person of pardoning, to be able to pardon for yourself if somebody wrongs you, but to be to re- seek justice when someone you're responsible for is wronged. For example, your wife, your children, your community, if you're an imam or if you're a community leader, um, that you are quick to defend. Defend who? The weak, the oppressed, the marginalized women, children. This doesn't seem to be commonplace anymore. No, no. And if a man doesn't have this capacity, these capacities, if a man doesn't have, let's say, these types of strengths, then what value is he to his family, to his community? What value is he to God? I think one time you mentioned this, this three, and you may have taken it from uh, some another one of our brothers doing this kind of work. A man ought to be able to provide, the, a man ought to be able to protect, protect, provide, and preside. I never forgot those three things that you told me, and I, I value them. And I, 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 I want to give credit to whoever actually um, came up with those three, because that's a great summary of it. Really beautiful. I think that's the motto from the Order of Man podcast. Got it. Okay. Uh, by, uh, I don't remember the guy's name. But, but also, again, one of these really sort of incredibly successful and, and, and large podcasts and platforms that are now beginning to, again, discuss manhood. Unfortunately, it's not within the Muslim community. And this is something that we wanted to, this is the reason we're having this conversation. We want to start this conversation within the Muslim community because we shouldn't be the last ones, you know, to to what's happening. Like we should be at the forefront of what's necessary. And other communities are, are well now into this topic. And we're just beginning to sort of openly have this conversation, discussion. I want to share with you, um, I did a workshop with a group of men uh, not too long ago. And uh, we called it Awakening of Man. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions that we asked there, what, what is a man? Right. So I don't know if people are familiar, but yeah. So, so one of the questions we asked is, right, what is a man? How, how, what are some of the qualities of a man? What are the roles and responsibilities of a man? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just briefly go over some of the things that, that we discussed in this, sure. this session and this workshop. So roles and responsibilities, right? A man, we, we came up with uh, this, definitely not exhaustive, but this list, a believer, a provider, a protector, leader, guide, head of household, a vicegerent of God, a servant, a father, a husband, a son, a soldier, a warrior. And these are roles or responsibilities of a man. What are some of the qualities and characteristics of a man? Responsible, balanced, strong, dependable, prepared, competent, capable, persevering, connected, in control, boundaried, disciplined, mm-hmm. firm, humble, merciful, compassionate, kind, faithful, focused, determined, decisive, clear, trustworthy. Is this not good for men and for women, for children, for society? I mean, is this not what we what we should be aspiring to be? I believe so. And you and I are both fathers of sons. So I know you've been up late at night thinking about how to pass on something to your son of, of, of those qualities. And I have myself and you have more than one son. So it, it should it ought to keep us up at night. <clears throat> and the task is not only how do I pass these beautiful qualities that your participants mentioned, but how do I retrieve them myself? And then as I do that, hope and pray that my son takes some of them with him on his journey. Yeah. So, so this 
this is at the heart of this conversation, Jamil. Right. The role of a father in the West, or let's say contemporary modern uh, feminist culture has declared war on fathers, on patriarchy, yes. right? The patriarchy, which is basically a war on fathers and fatherhood. And you can see throughout yes. everything that we are constantly bombarded with, the disparagement and the diminishment of fathers and the role of fathers. Mm -hmm. There isn't any positive portrayal of men, and especially of fathers in media, in movies, in serials, in shows, and nothing. Yeah. Men are constantly shown and portrayed as incompetent, weak, um, indecisive, incapable. They're useless. They're disposable. Disposable, exactly. Absolutely. But, and then the question is now, right, how, how to pass this on to one's children? Well, there's only one way, and that's if we, we, if we awaken these in this reality in ourselves. Right. And what we're seeing now is an entire generation, or maybe two generations at this point, being raised without fathers. Yes. In fact, when you look at the, the sort of the structure since the Industrial Revolution, the father has been increasingly taken away from the home and away from the children. Your fathers always work, but usually when a boy was older, you know, reaching puberty father, and so on, right. he would begin working with his father. Right. But since the Industrial Revolution, right, we have a situation where the work of fathers is completely alien to the children. Like they can't share it with their children. Right. Right. And, yeah. and so there's I mean, this increasing... I mean, that myself, yeah. Yeah, and so there's this increasing divide between fathers and their children, especially between fathers and sons. And yes. you have an entire generation of, of boys that are actually never making the transition into manhood because they right. don't have elder men. They don't have their fathers around to do that. And even yeah. the ones that do, you know, in many ways, the fathers seem handicapped or incapable, or they themselves don't know how to... They themselves haven't had it, right? Yeah, As the Arabic exactly. saying goes... The Arabic saying goes, exactly. he, do not, he who does not have cannot give. Period. Exactly. And there's wisdom in that. And you mentioned something that's so critical, which for me, it's scary. It's because as we're divided, we're now divided from our sons during the day when we're working, when we're doing, for example, you and I, we work in, in, in a field which there's a great deal of confidentiality and privacy that clients share with us. We can't have our mm -hmm. sons there as we would if we were carpenters, blacksmiths, etc. That's a tragedy in and of itself. But on top of that, if we send our kids to schools, be they quote unquote Muslim schools or public schools or private schools, nine times out of 10, our sons are being socialized, educated and trained by whom? By women. And so there's another feminization process happening right there. It's not to disdain, it's not to demean what the teachers are doing. She's doing her job, the female elementary school teacher or high school teacher. She's doing her job, but the environment is much more conducive to daughters. Right. Which is why you're seeing boys get in a lot of trouble at school. ADHD is far more diagnosed with boys. Mm -hmm. uh, aggressive behavior in schools is very quickly repressed and suppressed and disciplined. The boys are disciplined and girls are okay. That environment for a classroom suits them very well. Whereas the boys want to just throw mud balls at each other and get at it a little bit. Where can they do that? It, sh it ought to be with the fathers and uncles. Really, I don't want to sound too romantic, but it ought to be that there's a passing down of tradition. I think you and I both have sat with our beloved Imam who has talked to us about this and how it's completely absent, but it was part of his culture. It's been part of every culture up until modern times, just a few decades ago. Exactly. And there's a great book on this too. By um, It's called... Um, and you recommended it to me initially, in fact, Hold On to Your Children. 
Hold on to your kids. Hold on to your kids. Yeah. Right. And and he talks about how there's been a shift from the vertical alignment of children towards their parents and ancestors to a horizontal peer based. And again, it goes back to the entire system from education, right, where they're put into environments where they have to form these peer bonds for survival. Yes. But you're right. It's, It's totally not conducive. It's not helpful. It's not a natural environment for young boys. And so you see boys checking out. Yes. Boys are falling behind and just checking out of the game. They're, they're just the one area where they can actually somehow even virtually be themselves is in a video game. Right. They can do masculine things. So they're all escaping to video games and so on. And they're checking out of life. They're checking yes. out of the real world. Unfortunately, this right. is a tragedy. I mean, this doesn't well, help anybody. It doesn't help. It doesn't help the boys. And it's certainly not going to help the women of the future. I don't I don't uh, mean to out so many of our young men that you and I counsel coach and if you will train even but our young men are in trouble those between 20 and 35 we're talking people who are ostensibly outwardly religious being addicted to things like pornography mm-hmm. sometimes substances you just mentioned video games an incessant addiction to video games that just unhealthy and these are men that are desperately wanting answers and they're desperately wanting guidance and leadership a one-hour session a week with you or i is not really enough right and they have to pay for that and oftentimes they have economic hardship etc and there's very little way that they can have the implementation with a mentor unless that's part of the program or part of they have someone as an accountability partner etc which you know maybe we can talk about how we can set that up for people but these are Decent young men who are, they feel completely useless. Mm -hmm. They feel like this society doesn't really need me. So screw it then. I'm going to continue with my addictions. And if this is the only place I can get some satisfaction, if you will, then I'm going to look at what I'm going to look at on the screen. And we know what follows that. And so that is so tragic. Why we've taken away so much of what makes youthful life good, which is what marriage. We're telling young men, don't marry until you have some until you have money, until you have a house, until you have a great career. So basically your whole time when you're full of healthy energy, suppress it because we don't, in our tradition, of course, there's nothing outside of marriage in terms of uh, relations. And we're telling women, this is where I, I believe Jordan Pearson is bang on, where he says, if all we do is tell young 18, 19, 20-year-old women that your career means everything, then what happens when that 30, 35-year-old woman with frozen eggs says, I feel empty? Because no one wants to marry me and I can't have any children anymore, or at least it's difficult now. So Mm -hmm. this is the problem. We've given the wrong message to both men and women, young men and women, Mm -hmm. and we suffer for it. You know, and it goes back to, are we going to try to lead and guide ourselves? Are we going to now humble ourselves and go back to religion and revelation, right? And, And we can, this experiment, we can take it as far as we want, but it doesn't seem to be going in a good direction. No. No. Uh, And the warnings have come. I mean, part of religion is it's not popular. Part of religion is a warning. Yes, there's a giving giving of good news and glad tidings. But there's also a warning that there's a path to take. You can take another path. It's not a safe one. Take the path of the prophets. It will lead you to the right place. And on the way will give you contentment, meaning joy. It doesn't mean free of hardship. Mm. We need to emphasize that. But what man of any worth... I don't know if I should say it, but I have not met any man of any worth who has been through light or easy hardships. The best men I know have been through hell and back, excuse my language. 
They've had hardships, loss of marriages, loss of death of family members, loss of income, some even to the point of almost sleeping on the street. Men who have seen hardship, war, uh, soldiers, veterans. We see, these men have some substance to them and they've earned their wrinkles. They've earned their grays and they can pass on wisdom. Those of us who have been through a little, a few nicks, ticks and light hard hits, we don't have what it takes to pass anything on to our youth, to our young men, because we haven't felt the difficulty of life. And this, you know, you talk about um, people in the realm of uh, reviving manliness and sacred manhood. What do they talk about? Voluntary hardship, as simple as taking a ice cold shower in the morning. Hmm. You might think this is uh, people listen to me say that. And I say, maybe you want to try this for your mental health. They say, what? That's going to just shock me and make me feel, you know, shiver and gross and I won't feel well. I'll get sick. The health benefits of doing something that's difficult like that is tremendous. And it's a hardship that you put yourself through in order to make yourself stronger. Why do people, why do men like myself and others, we go to the gym and we use barbells and we put a bunch of weight on it. We squat it, we lift it, we press it, we push it. It's hard. It's hard and you risk injury and you get injured, but it's good. It's a voluntary hardship that we ought to take on. I even know a man who had a great, he was a computer engineer, a Muslim, great opportunity to work for a company, um, but he had suspicions about how halal it was given the kind of company it was. He voluntarily, he didn't have to do this. He voluntarily said, I'm going to take a warehouse job while I look for work. And he wasn't well built or anything. He was a very slight build and lifted boxes for hours on end a day when he was a highly qualified software engineer because he had some doubt about the company that was hiring him. That's a voluntary hardship that he took on to say, I'd rather have integrity. By the way, you asked about qualities. Integrity is a big one. I would rather have integrity than to have doubt about what I'm doing. What happened to that? Really? It's a beautiful quality. Yeah, it seems that, uh, unfortunately, we, we've become too easily influenced to choose this world over the next. Yes. Right? And I think that's also, again, goes back to that um, sacred, masculine, sacred nature mm -hmm. that is willing to take on hardships and difficulties for the sake of truth, for the sake of God, for the sake of one's family. Right. That is the that is the that's how Allah built men. If you mm -hmm. don't take on some voluntary hardship, Ihsan, what happens when it reaches you and it and it touches you? Will you be able to hold that stuff on your shoulders? Mm -hmm. That's the problem. I think I think it was uh, I don't remember who this said could be uh, I don't recall. Put some heavy stuff on your shoulders now you, by choice before it's put on your shoulders mm -hmm. by force. Mm -hmm. That makes mm -hmm. sense. So, and oftentimes when I'm at, and I'm in the, in the weight room and with, with the, the men, young men, there's a few middle-aged men, that's the energy that's there is this, let's get strong because in our lives of, like for me, I, I work as you do, I'm in a very relaxed, peaceful, danger-free environment on my computer, working with people in front of people, writing, etc. There's nowhere to let loose of this energy. And so we find places some do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and it's, it's difficult. Some do serious strength training with barbells, and it's difficult. Others go to the shooting range to, to, because it's in us all. Mm -hmm. And if we suppress that, then there's not much left in us to value. We're just robotic. We look like men, perhaps, and some of us don't even look like that. Going through life in a somnambulant state of, yeah, wake up, go to work, come back, 
watch the television, get on the screen, do something. There's nothing vigorous. There's nothing alive. I mean, I'm not saying that we all have to be hunters and get out and shoot, you know, but what we can do is at least do something difficult that is good for you. How about starting with a cold shower just to start your day? See what that does. How about wake for in our context as Muslims, how about waking up a little bit early for some blessed time before the prayer time comes? Mm -hmm. How about going to the mosque? Yeah, yeah. You know, just getting in the car or walking or biking or whatever, <laughs> even though you might not like the, all the brothers there. But the difficulty in doing it means it must be good for you. Or changing what you eat. Yeah. You know, men, men don't... It, it ought to be that men eat healthy foods so they can keep their body healthy for worship, for protection, and for longevity because you don't just live for yourself. If you're a family man, you have a wife and children, maybe even more than one wife, plenty of children that you have a responsibility to provide for, protect, and to be there for them. We've lost that, and it's tragic, but I, I don't want to get too much into a bemoaning kind of grief with you, Ehsan. I want to work on how we're going to remedy this. Yeah. And I think people like you, I'm honored to know people like you, to be able to be numbered among your friends and many others in our community. We're not alone. We're not alone, but we need to do work together and recruit together and be in each other's presence. Yeah. You Indeed. Know, somehow, somehow. Indeed. They try to stop us from gathering, but we won't let that happen. We will gather. We'll be together. And we must. And, you know, this is, a, and likewise, uh, uh, likewise, Sidi Jamil, um, it's necessary to have good brothers and yes. uh, good people in our lives that we actually make time to connect with, right. to congregate with, and even to train with, right, yes. to work with, yeah. to struggle with, to suffer with. Mm -hmm. And um, this is what makes us men. It's what makes men men. Absolutely. It's not 100%. going to be comfort and ease and indulgence and luxury and excess. It's going to no. be hardship. It's going to be some level of zuhud, some level of no. difficulty. And, and the reality is, right, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, with hardship comes ease. Right. right. With that hardship, with that discipline, you're going to find greater and greater ease in your life. Yes. yes. And, 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 you know, for the listeners and viewers, it's not that we're not singing a song in praise of sadistic behavior or the seeking of pain intentionally. We're not supposed to do that because the Holy Prophet if he had a path to take between two things, he would take the easier of the two, so long as there was no sin in it or wrong action in it. So we don't want to make extra difficulties for ourselves, but we want to prepare for difficulties that are headed our way, and they are headed our way. We can't avoid it. It's part of being on God's green earth. Mm -hmm. They are going to hit us and let us be prepared. Of course, we call on Allah, Ya Latif, to put gentleness in it yeah. so that it doesn't destroy us. But we also are prepared. We want to be prepared such that we can handle it and not be in the game of, in why is this happening? Woe is me. Look at what I'm going through. Instead of worrying about what you're going, why you're going through it, find a dignified way to respond. Mm -hmm. A dignified way to respond. Let's say you go through a divorce. A man goes through a divorce. It's very hard on a man. Or a loss of income, a loss of job. Or a wayward son who's not on the path of Islam as the father would like. These things cause tremendous pain in the heart of the father, of the man. But they can be a source of growth if they're responded to with dignity. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I want to thank you, uh, Sidi Jamil, for, for the time, for the conversation. And, um, you know, maybe just bring it back to where we started, which is... What is the purpose of all of this? And ultimately, it's the health, the happiness, 
of human beings. And I think that we're happiest when we are what God created us to be. Right. And when we fulfill those roles. And I think the first act of insubordination in creation that we have been told is the act of Iblis. Yes. Refusing to play the role that he was assigned. Right. Right. And trying to, um, through his own will, change what Allah had willed. Right. And so the religion before Allah is Islam. In Adina, in Allah is Islam. Absolutely. So I, and that's the path. It's not, again, Allah doesn't need it. But right. it's what leads to our own happiness. But we have to learn to set our own egos aside and to also carry and take up the, the mantle of responsibility that, that has been given to us as human beings. May Allah Almighty guide us. This is a, I, I mean, wanted to have this conversation with you as a as a start to this conversation, <laughs> as, a, as an opportunity for us to bring this conversation out into our community and, um, and to broach the subject, inshallah. And God willing, good comes from it. That's our hope, that, right. that we can hopefully... <laughs> reduce a little bit of suffering in the lives yes. of, of, of our fellow brothers and sisters. Yes. I mean, to your supplication, Nihsan, and I think that this is just the beginning. I want to just put one, insert one more point that I hope that we can take as we depart. This will not be warmly welcomed by everyone. We have to be prepared that there will be a lot of naysayers and many people who will point the finger at Ihsan saying, you see what Ihsan's talking about? He is saying all this and that, and many, many people online and offline mm -hmm. will start the attacks. And mm -hmm. they'll come to my website and they'll do the same thing. They will come to me in person and say, is it true that you're trying to revive something that we consider to be dangerous, like patriarchy? Well, everyone wants to simplify things to black and white. And so they look at things as patriarchy is bad. Everything modern and progressive is good. Um, men are bad. So women are good, except they, they don't get the fact that there's gray. Yes, there's aspects of historical expressions of patriarchy that are not healthy, and they're not from the way of Islam either. And so we're not talking about that. We're talking about a traditional Abrahamic patriarchy where men are leaders of families and their homes, and that women, we will say this with the utmost certainty, that when women are submissive, coachable students of their spouse. And that's not popular. That's not popular because we, we, we're hyper-addicted to the idea of an egalitarian relationship of equality. It's not to say that men and women aren't spiritual equals. Indeed, they are. But the fact of the matter is that we're very different creatures, and that's why we match so beautifully. It's when one tries to be what one isn't. The masculinization of women, the feminization of man, creates a destruction of the family. And that's what creates destruction in society. It's fairly simple. The fact that the Jews, Christians, and Muslims all have a similar family structure, very similar, means that we can all revive it, all revive it. And alhamdulillah, that in the way of Islam, everything we have is intact. Our tradition is preserved. It's just that we've put it on the shelf and say it doesn't fit us for this time. And that's our tragedy. I mean, I'll, I'll go back to a couple of things here um, just to wrap it up for us, Jamila. And that's mm -hmm. that number one. Um, first and foremost, men have to be competent and capable. Otherwise, they will be. They they will very well be, devolve into tyrants, which they have throughout the world. And it's no it's no secret that the power is abused in many parts of the Muslim world. But that's incompetence and that's a lack of manhood. That's a lack of masculinity. In fact, yeah. uh, number one and number two, you know, la We're yes. having a conversation, and yes. for those that that Allah guides to, because this is 
this is the battle, this is the front lines of, of what is emerging as the battles of our times. And whom is seeking for guidance and knowledge and wisdom for one reason only, to live a simple, healthy, happy, harmonious life. Then may Allah guide them and guide us. Well, I mean, um, I mean, we're not, I'm not interested in imposing any idea on anyone. And ne I'm sure neither are you, Sidi no, Jamil. I'm not. Everyone is free to choose to live as they like, but we want to have the conversation and we want to have specific conversations for those that are seeking yes and who have experienced and realized this doesn't work right like what we've been told our whole lives isn't actually working yeah not for us not for our families not for our children not for our, our societies and community absolutely agree 100 percent with you on that Ihsan. And, and and in closing i want to you know as we depart and say to our listeners and viewers it's not that we're saying come back young men Come back and learn with us. Be with us. Let us go on this path of manliness together. We're also saying, come back, women. You have a fitrah. You have an aboriginal nature, and it matches us well when we're in our aboriginal nature, mm -hmm. when we're in our primordial, natural way. And every traditional culture has been like this. So why are we trying to reinvent the wheel that way? We want the women to also have contentment and meaning. We can't live without you. You know, there's a lot of talk that says, that women say, oh, we don't need men. We don't need men. We don't. They're good for nothing. We will not follow that path. Women, we need you. Mm -hmm. We totally need you. You're the second half of that family. And it's through you that God has perpetuated creation. And so you're that much of a valued part of this discussion. Even though we haven't mentioned you much, women, this is your discussion as much as it is ours. And we include you in the sense that just as we're trying to revive something that seems to be lost, we would encourage and invite you to do the same. And if we can be of benefit, we certainly want to. May Allah Almighty subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us to what's best and to what's pleasing to Him and open our hearts to following what He is leading and guiding us towards as human beings to the fulfillment of our roles, our destinies, and our purpose as His servants. Sidi Jamil, maybe you can conclude and... and make a dua for, for us and for our community, for our listeners, and inshallah ta'ala we can take benefit from, from a dua at the end of this. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad. Salatan tunjina biha min jami' al-ahwali wal-afat wa taqdilana biha jami' al-hajat wa tutahiruna biha min jami' al-sayyiat wa tarfa'una biha a'la al-darajat wa tubalighuna biha aqasa al-ghayat min jami' al-khirati fi al-hayati wa ba'd al-mamat. اللهم إنا نسألك فعل الخيرات وترك المنكرات وحب المساكين وإذا أردت بعبادك فتنة فاقبدنا إليك غير مفتونين آمين 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 We ask the Lord of the world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to bless us, to bless our gatherings, to bless our families, to bless our homes, to make men worthy of being leaders in our, in our families, in our societies, in our communities, and we ask that Allah make women in tune with their natural disposition as mothers, as wives, as leaders of women and their children. And we ask that the Ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad the most beautiful nation be restored to its place of dignity and its place of honor and nobility. And we ask this by the honor of the Holy Prophet Muhammad al-Fatiha. Amin, Ya Rab. Allahumma amin. Ala siratul mustaqim. Jazakul khairun, Sayyidi Jamil. It's been a pleasure to connect. Always with you as well. Always with you. 
Inshallah. Thank you. And I will have a link to your your site and, and your info uh, in the show notes for this for this uh, for this recording. Inshallah. Okay. That would be wonderful. Assalamualaikum warahmatullah. I humbly and sincerely hope you enjoyed and benefited from this conversation and episode of Soul of Islam Radio. You can learn more about Sidi Jamil Papatia via his website www.dignifieddialogue.ca. To further connect with me and to continue the conversation, please visit our new website at www.borderpoint.com. To your divine and eternal success. Thank you.